You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 850 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Tuesday into Wednesday. We will have more from Brian Schroeder in the coming days. And to take, take you behind the curtain, by the way, we've already recorded on Obi Toppin, Killian Hayes, and Denny Evdia, as well as the podcast that you've already heard with Brian and I, talking about LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Alexis Pokashevsky, Anya K. Kongwu, etc. But taking a break from that today, it's just me talking about some mailbag stuff with three weeks. Yes, three weeks to go until the NBA draft. At any rate, though, today is mostly mailbag-related, but there is one quick news item to touch on briefly here. Mark Stein of the New York Times reported on Monday that December 1st is a proposed date to open training camp if the season starts on December 22nd, as has been widely reported. That makes total sense to me. You need you know, you know, need some time to wrap up the season, all that stuff. And then on Tuesday, he reported that some teams are preparing for free agency to start as early as November 20th or 21st, which is 48 to 72 hours after the draft is over. And well before Thanksgiving even arrives, in theory, that would be to give more time for free agents to actually take place. It wouldn't be quite as much of a sprint. With that said, it's still a very, very quick turnaround from the draft. When it comes to that, you know, usually teams have between you know, a week to 10 days between the draft and free agency. And then after that, of course, a full offseason. So doing everything closer together is, seems to be a, uh, a no-brainer at this point in time in terms of it actually happening. But that's pretty fast from the draft to free agency. So keep that all in mind. And if we get more information, we'll report it. He seemed to be alluding that we th- we think that um, sometime this week we'll get a more co- a more coherent plan on what's going to be happening there. But that's the latest as I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. Okay, from there, we'll get into the mailbag. And the first question is almost more of a news, more of a news thing anyway, at least in the way that I was asked about it quite a bit today. Um, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer reported within the confines of a mock draft that he wrote on Tuesday that the Hawks are, quote, shopping their first-round pick and intend to push for the playoffs, end quote. So frankly, none of that should surprise anyone that's been paying attention to the Hawks for the last few weeks and months. Um, the word, quote-unquote, shopping is, I guess, the only new revelation there. It's probably a little bit more aggressive than I would like in terms of the way that I've heard that to be put through, but the Hawks are certainly willing to listen. I think Travis Schlenk's even acknowledged that in public, and you've heard that. There's a reason why there's so much buzz around the Hawks. They can, they're a team that's trying to make the playoffs. They've been very open about talking about that. That's not really breaking news, but it's still noteworthy that you know, a national writer talked about it in this way. So there's all of that. They don't have to stay at six. We all know that, but it's worth saying out loud every once in a while. The Hawks can move up. They can move down. They can move out, etc. All those options are on the table. I personally would not be looking to move up in this class. That's been my opinion the entire time. It won't, probably won't change, but they could move down or out. I wouldn't balk at that idea whatsoever if they if they drafted someone at six. I also think that's perfectly fine as well. So we'll touch on all of that as it comes through, but um, that's the impetus for a lot of the questions that I was receiving today. But I know it's reporting. I'm confident the KOC's heard this, by the way. It has sources on it. I'm not really sure if it's new or like surprising at all, but there you go on that. And I think the Hawks are obviously pushing for the playoffs. That's something that, you know, I think locally has been more clear than maybe nationally. If you covered or listened to all the audio that I played for you guys on the podcast with with regard to the mini camp, um, all the comments are focused on that and kind of intentionally, it seems like, from the top down. So that's a focus clearly for next year. They're going to make some moves as a result of that, I think, and we'll see what they end up doing. But it doesn't mean they have to trade the pick. They certainly could, and that was the latest on that. Um, with regard to that same mock draft, though, 
we can transition into a mock draft proposal that O'Connor wrote as part of that sort of that explanation as to why he was projecting this mock draft trade. And now we're into now we're by the way into fake trade territory and mailbag stuff rather than news. So just mark that now. <laughs> this is now fake trade territory. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sort of analyze this one. Then we'll transition into the rest of the mailbag. But the Ringer mock draft fake trade was number six and number eleven. Sorry, number six from the Hawks to San Antonio for number eleven and Demar Derozan. So it's pretty it's a pretty easy one for me quite honestly, and I think I've already seen some Hawks fans that have replied to me saying this on Twitter and other places that they actually disagree with me, which is fine. I'm not surprised by that. This is uh, one of those polarizing ones in some ways because you have a big-name player or a former All-Star, etc. involved. But for me, it's pretty easy and it's a clear no for me. Now, I'll, I'll, di I'll dive into it a, li a little bit more than that, obviously. You're dropping down five spots in the draft, going from 6 to 11, and the gap between 6 and 11 is not enormous in this draft for me, but it's still a loss in value. Like at, at number six, you're getting into the guys that we've been talking about the entire time. At number 11, you're getting the likes of, you know, Patrick Williams was the guy that they projected in this Ringer mock draft. You're getting, the, you know, the Aaron Neesmith territory, et cetera. Maybe Tyrese Maxey, a guy I like, but um, not the same exact tier. Maybe maybe Pokoshevsky, if you want to get weird. But regardless, there's a drop in value, in value from six to 11. It's not enormous, but it certainly matters. As such, you would need a positive value to counteract that because, again, you're giving up value in the 6 for 11 swap. So to make up that value proposition, you want to make up that with a positive asset. And on his contract, I want to stress, on his contract, DeRosa is not a positive asset. Now, he's a divisive player in a lot of ways. I am not someone who's going to tell you that he's not good at basketball. Like, there is this notion that maybe he's just bad. I don't agree with that. Now, he is a very specialized player and also someone who has really defined weaknesses and strengths, and he has to be utilized well, etc. Um, but my bigger thing here is that he's making a lot of money, and that is the biggest domino here. So he has a player option for $27.7 million for the upcoming season. In order to make this trade, he has to opt into it, or otherwise he can't be traded because then he'd be a free agent. So you have to assume in this fake trade scenario that he's opted in, and that means you're owing him $27.7 million. At that number, DeMar DeRozan is overpaid. You can argue about how much, but he's not a max-level player at this point in his career. That's not really debatable. I, I, I know people probably think that I'm being a little bit too low, and that's not necessarily the case. I think DeMar DeRozan's good and has value. But that's too much money, I think, and honestly, I think it's pretty clearly too much money. Um, there is value in his scoring, for sure, and his, his individual shot creation, for sure, especially late in games. And then the Hawks could certainly use someone like DeRozan to get his shot off, especially when Trey leaves the court. He would help their offense in all, in all kinds of ways as a secondary creator, etc., and a guy who could sort of you could run things through in the second unit, all that stuff. But even if you view him as neutral, so now we're I'm, I will concede for the purposes of this exercise – Someone could see him as a neutral value on his contract. He's not a positive value. That's that's kind of the ship is sailing. In order in order to be a positive value on a twenty seven point seven million dollar contract, you have to be a legitimate star. And DeRozan is not a star at this point in his career. Yes, he can score, but not necessarily at that level. So you're losing the five spots in the draft to make the trade, and the value proposition is just not enough for the Hawks in this scenario. I get the theory of it, honestly, at least in some way. That the Hawks have cap space, they have a ton of it, they have too much probably, and it's it's also a one-year deal. So the risk factor is not overwhelming. That's that's the one counterpoint and one that I've heard, I would say, from a lot of fans in the last couple of hours as we talked about this in public and offline, is that you know the Hawks have all this cap space, what, what are they going to use it on? Wouldn't they be better with DeRozan? Um, 
yes, they probably would be better with DeRozan. Now, I just think that that's not as easy as you're going to be. It'd be different if you were going up in the draft and maybe taking on the money to help the Spurs get off DeRozan, but you're treating him as a plus asset to make this trade. And I think there is probably a better way to use that cap space. If it was $20 million, it'd be a, lot, a little bit easier to take. If it was $15 million, sure. $27.7 million is like most of your cap space, and that takes away some of the, some of the, some of the flexibility that you might have, um, etc. So I won't go down every rabbit hole. If this deal were to happen, I would have even more stuff to discuss on it. Also, if the Hawks wanted him as, as badly as they probably would have to have him uh, to make this trade, they could probably signal through back channels to get him to opt out and just sign him. That's the other thing about this, is that if you're DeRozan's agent, you can probably figure out that the Hawks want you, and again, for the Hawks to do this trade, they have to really want DeRozan. If that's the case, why wouldn't DeRozan just opt out and sign with the Hawks? Maybe for a similar deal, maybe even... Honestly, it would make more sense for the Hawks to pay DeMar DeRozan the max, his max, for one year as a free agent than it would to make than would to make this trade. I still wouldn't do that, but it's actually easier to defend that than it is to make this trade because that way you don't lose the draft capital as well. Um, and again, I, I know I know that moving down five spots is not a huge thing, but if you look at it from what you would actually get from that kind of transaction, you would get some real value. If you look at the trade chart that Kevin Pelton Kevin Pelton does, it's a pretty big drop off from six to eleven. So, all that said, maybe there, maybe there's a structure to this deal where the Spurs add something else to balance the scales. Maybe they want to throw in a first rounder, or they want to throw in like Kelton Johnson or Lonnie Walker or something like that. Then maybe it becomes more interesting. But as such as it is right now, I would not even consider doing it. People have disagreed with me. That's totally fine. But that's how I view it. It's not because DeRozan's bad. It's because DeRozan is paid quite a bit of money. And I think, you know, his defense especially, without going full full on into the analysis, DeRozan is a bad defensive player. That's not really up for debate. He's a bad defensive player. You can argue all day about his offense, and there are definitely pros and cons to everything that he does on offense. But defensively, he's a negative. And on this roster, it's tough to have a defensive wing that you're playing a lot that's a bad defender. That's a tough sell. Um, so there you go on that. We'll leave it there for now. Okay, before we get to the rest of the mailbag, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. I've told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are up to 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like caramel, brownie, lemon, almond cheesecake, and my personal favorite, cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. From there, it's also important to note that Bilt Bar is fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying a delicious treat. Bars are high protein, high fiber, low calorie, and low sugar, and Bilt Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet. Go to BiltBar.com right now, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and when you do that, you get 20% off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it out at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we're back with more mailbag questions, and the next one is actually going to be away from the draft into free agency. It comes from Caleb, who asks, would you give Brennan Ingram the max on the first night of free agency if you were running the Hawks? Interesting question. Before I answer specifically, I will give you an overview on Ingram real fast. He turned 23 in September. Uh, Ingram is a very prolific offensive player. 23.8 points this year per game. Six rebounds, four assists on really good shooting. Um, 59% true shooting, 39% from three, etc. He got up 8.4 threes per point of possessions this year, which is a huge jump from previously. I honestly think that you can't assume he's a 39% three-point shooter just yet. That's a small sample size in terms of the grand scheme, but I think he can shoot. It's encouraging that he's taken more, and that's a plus. 
Also, free throw percentage jumped quite a bit to 85% this year. That's a good sign for his shooting long term. And then rebounding, jump, rebounding jump a little bit, especially on the defense, on the defensive glass. That's a huge data point for someone who is very long. He is skinny, but there is some projection there for a former, you know, five-star recruit, top five pick, etc. His assist rate also, also went up to 19% this year while keeping the turnover rate sort of the same. Not a huge plus passer, but certainly someone who can pass very well at times. And managed to carry a 28% usage last year. Without using it, sorry, without losing efficiency in a lot of ways. Obviously, the Pelicans were really bad defensively, but offensively, he was their best player, other than sometimes Zion this year, and he was able to carry a workload and score efficiently. Now, he's sort of a ball stopper at this point. Um, also, defensively, he graded out as below average in basically all the impact metrics. He's not like terrible, terrible, but not a plus guy on defense. He's gotten better, um, and he is, again, he has he has some tools. He is long. I think he's, he generally gets it in terms of positioning, but he has some he has some lapses is the way that I would put that defensively. And I think he can be better in the future as it gets a little bit stronger. He's pretty athletic for someone who is as long as he is as well. He's still, for, he's still fairly young, and if you're signing him right now, you're, you're getting his prime, which is a good sign, obviously. The Pelicans were slightly worse with him on the court defensively, which is not a big surprise given the way that he struggles a little bit on that end of the floor, but it's not a disaster. Is he a good defender? No. But it's not like one where you have to just rule it out based on the uh, based on the fit and all that stuff. So bringing it back around, the overall metrics tell you that he's not as good as the numbers indicate, like his scoring indicates and his shooting indicates. I generally buy that. I think he might be a little bit overrated as a finished product right now. But he is young enough where you probably could consider him being a little bit better in the long term. He's 23 years old still. His max deal is 25% of the cap which is about $27, $28 million in year one. It's a lot of money, but it's not that 35% number where it's like gets to be comical at the end. That's important to point out. Overall, I don't think it's an absolute no-brainer that he's actually worth the max in a vacuum, pure value-wise, but that also isn't necessarily the question here. The Hawks have cap space, a ton of it, and unlike most free agents, Ingram would actually fit their timeline. So also, this assumes that he might be able to sign if you're offering him the max. If he never improved, it wouldn't be a great contract. But importantly, I think he also would certainly retain trade value as someone who can who could score the way he can and be as young as he is, and also someone who has real pedigree as a Duke guy, a top five pick, a five star. Like those guys retain value pretty well. You have to really, really plateau like Andrew Wiggins did to really lose your value, and even then, Wiggins is making more. And also the fact that you know. I think Ingram this year was better than Wiggins has ever been. So even if you want to make the most negative comp imaginable for Ingram, barring a real injury, I think you could probably move him pretty easily if you sign him and just didn't want to keep him around. So practically speaking, I think the Pelicans match a max offer from the Hawks or anybody else pretty fast. Um, and that makes this whole thing kind of mute, kind of moot. And that's the reason why I haven't talked about Ingram a ton on the podcast. And really, there's this assumption that the two biggest name free agents on, on the market this summer, or I guess fall now, Anthony Davis and Brandon Ingram, are just, are just not really available. So that's the reason why they're not really being discussed. But I would offer it as the Hawks. There's not, there's not really any downside to it, especially with this weird offseason and the fact that there won't be a full-pledged mor- moratorium all that stuff. I don't necessarily have pushback if you wouldn't want to. Like, I don't think it's crazy not to want to offer it. Um, and again, I think practically he's not, even if he signs it, the Pels just match it, so who cares? But it's relatively close for me. I think Ingram is pretty appealing as a prospect that's already established that he's efficient and productive as a scorer. And I think he has to be a little bit better to earn that deal, but he's still young enough where that actually could happen, for sure. It's fun to think about overall, and I think he's not going to get out of New Orleans, but the way to actually do this, if you want to get real crazy, is to maybe get him to maybe get him to sign the max, 
um, and do like a sign and trade um, with the Pelicans, you'd have to offer them some real stuff there. And honestly, that's what I would not do as the Hawks is sign him to the max and also give away a couple of trade assets. That's too much. He's not that kind of good. Um, but if for some reason, the Pelicans didn't want to bring him back and they wanted to sort of capitalize a la Malcolm Brogdon last summer. Um, that would be reasonable, but I wouldn't do that as the Hawks. If, you, if you're just on just, just the money itself, sure. But again, I think the Pels match it. Hopefully that answers your question, and I appreciate everyone asks asking anything really on the podcast. Okay, last one for today as we're running a little bit longer than I was uh, expecting to, but that's okay. We still have uh, plenty more content to get to in the, last, in the next three weeks. Um, this is also a fake trade, but it's one that actually happened, uh, I believe it was last week as I'm looking at this, and it comes from uh, a listener named Silas, who says... I scrolled through your timeline. I didn't see anything about it, so sorry if I missed it, but did you see the Hawks-Warriors trade that Jeremy Wu proposed? I've been arguing with a friend about it, and I wanted to see what you thought. So, shout to Jeremy, who has been on the podcast before. He wrote up a couple of fake trades for the Warriors. It was a, it was a Warriors-facing piece, which is why it didn't get a ton of attention, I don't think, for Hawks Twitter. But it included the Hawks in one of the fake trades that he made up. Again, he was not reporting this. It's a fake trade exercise. But before I answer it, um, you know, it's just one of those things where fake trade, all caveats apply. I've been answering a lot of these in the, on the last couple of podcasts. People seem, people seem to like these, which is interesting. Um, it's this dead period before the draft actually arrives. So I'm having fun with some of these, but uh, it's actually not a bad one, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, yeah, I'll just tell you to, I'll, I'll just tell you what it is now. So the fake, the fake trade is the Hawks would be acquiring Andrew Wiggins, the number two overall pick in this year's draft and the 2021 first round pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves that the Warriors have that is top three protected. The Hawks would be sending out Clint Capella to Golden State and also the number six pick to Golden State. So I've asked, I would say, several people that I think are smart about this trade and gotten a lot of different answers, which makes this one both flashy and that involves top picks and Wiggins and Capella, etc., and also kind of divisive. I think some people didn't love it for the Hawks because of Wiggins. That makes a lot of sense. And then... Some didn't love for the Warriors for different reasons, including, you know, some skepticism with some, I would say people, some skepticism with Capella playing with Draymond, as well as the fact that they would be um, sort of cashing in the Minnesota chip without getting a big time star involved, et cetera. Capella's, Capella's very good, not, not necessarily a superstar. So on the Warriors side, real fast, they'd be trading their biggest future asset in the Wolves pick and also going down in this draft, but they're also getting off the Wiggins contract, which is the biggest thing. They could they could trade down draft like Halliburton or whatever at six. And then also generate a huge trade exception. This is not a Warriors podcast. So I, won't, I won't go into depth there, but that's one of the reasons why they might want to do that. And of course, they also upgrade Wiggins to Capella. That's a huge thing while still having a pick that's pretty good in this draft. So on the Hawks side, it's a big it's a big downgrade from Capella to Wiggins, obviously on the court, in terms of on the court and in terms of the money. So Wiggins is owed more than $90 million in the next three years. Capella is owed... Not half of it, but it's like 60% of that. Um, he is making more than $10 million less annually than Andrew Wiggins is, which is a, uh, I would say, considerable, is the way that I would put that difference. And Capella is just better than Wiggins. So that obviously speaks for itself in a lot of ways. Also, if you're Atlanta, this creates a hole at center, of course. Conceivably, the Hawks could draft Wiseman at number two. I wouldn't love doing that necessarily, but it's not insane if that's part of the deal. Also, they could get into the sweepstakes with Christian Wood or... Something like that, but you know, I won't go down. I will not go down that rabbit hole just yet. Overall standpoint on this fake trade, the biggest swing point is how you feel about Wiggins. So, <laughs> taking on Wiggins is not a small thing. 
it's a huge negative value to take on Andrew Wiggins. I know there are still Wiggins fans in the league and also people that don't really care about contract value. Those people definitely exist, and I totally get that on some level. But, um, you know, simply put, I won't move off this. He's a negative value. You can argue how much of a negative he is, but he's a, he's a negative pretty severely. So Wiggins can score. There are people that think he's probably better than he is because he can score, but it's a super, super massive investment monetarily. I think he could be better in a situation like the Hawks or with the Warriors. Honestly, I, I want to see him a little bit like with my morbid NBA curiosity playing with the real Warriors team, playing with Steph, playing with Clay, playing with Draymond to see what he actually looks like in a small role that he was supposed to be in. This year, that actually just didn't really happen. In Atlanta, he might be better playing with Trey Young and not having to create a lot, all that stuff. But we don't know that. And also, he's never been a good defender. As much as Wiggins is, is this great athlete, um, he's kind of a below average defensive player and it's three, four, it's three full years. It's just a lot of money and it's a big risk and it really impacts your books. Like it makes your cap space less for this summer and next summer and the following summer when Trey starts making real money, etc. Also, you're going down, you're, you're going up in the draft this year, obviously from six to two. But for me, as I've said num- numerous times, that isn't the same jump that I think p- people might view it as in my personal opinion. If you love Anthony Edwards or something like that, then maybe you like this trade more than I do. But going from 6-2, to two, it's a positive value thing for sure, but not one that I would swing this deal for. The other big swing piece is pretty obviously the Minnesota pick, which is the part of this that people have focused on the least, that at least that I've talked to. But it really matters. The protection on that pick is huge because, yes, Minnesota, that pick is a really good asset for the Warriors, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why this, why this deal kind of makes some sense on both sides. But... It's top three protected, which means you can't you cannot get Kate Cunningham, who is the big prize in next year's draft. There is a very good class coming in next year. So if that pick is like the fifth pick overall, that's a huge asset. But it also could be not conveyed at all because the war the wolves could be really bad. Or it could be like the twelfth pick if the wolves make a little run this year and uh, miss the playoffs, but still do so in, in a competitive fashion. So there's obviously a, a pretty big swing on that pick. And, you know. The value proposition swings as a result of that. You, you'd be betting against the Wolves, but also the Wolves could be so bad that they end up getting Cade, and that it's, you know, we'll just say that's a little bit challenging. Okay, so the last thing, from a nerdy standpoint, we could go one step deeper, and this, and then I'll let you guys go. Um, the Wiggins deal is like $50 million underwater, maybe more. Um, I know some people think he's better than that, but he's probably like a $10 to $15 million player practically speaking, maybe even less, and he's making 30-plus. So he would get a lot less money on the market right now. That's something that I will definitely go to bat for, even if you think that Wiggins is better than I do. If he's a free agent right now, he is not getting anywhere near the money that he currently has on his contract. So is the four-spot bump in this bad class in the draft and the uncertainty of the pick in the following year enough to make up for you know, $60 million basically underwater, maybe 50 if you want to be more charitable, underwater on that deal. Plus, you're giving up Capella, who maybe is properly paid, but Capella's a good player. He was young enough. They just they just invested in him on purpose to fill a real hole on the roster at center. If you traded him, you would lose that roster. I'm sorry, you would lose that roster certainty at center. So ultimately, I would actually probably lean no as the Hawks here. I can see all sides, frankly. Um, of this contract, uh, sorry, of this trade, because there's a lot of pivot points. It's like, on one hand, how do you feel about Wiggins? 
On the other hand, how do you feel about the number two pick versus number six pick in this draft? And then also the third thing, again, is, you know, that Wolves pick is uncertain, but it's also a really good asset in some ways. And then I guess the fourth thing, maybe maybe about, about, about Capella, because not every Hawks fan is in love with Capella. I think Capella is good. I think Capella is, if anything, uh, you know, appropriately paid, maybe even underpaid if he's good and playing at his optimal level. He really helps this Hawks team out a lot. So all that said, the Wiggins thing, I think, is... The biggest pivot point, it kind of depends on how you feel about him, but he would also really impact your books moving forward, and that would be ultimately the reason why I would not do this trade. A combination between Wiggins' money and the, uh, for me anyway, the, the gap between 6 and 2 just not being as impactful in this year's draft as others might believe that it is. So if this deal actually happened, I'd go even deeper into it with a ton more different angles that I actually didn't even explore here. There's a lot to get to. But a pretty good fake trade there from Jeremy Wu and one that actually got under discussed, I think, compared to the other ones that are actually worse. In fact, before I get out of here, there was one that was very bad, I thought, that was making the rounds on Tuesday from a prominent outlet that I won't even address. It was so lopsided that I don't even want to talk about it on the podcast. And if you've been listening to the podcast the last couple of weeks, you will know that I've not been shy about fake trades. This one was so bad that it's not even worth talking about. So that will tell you all you need to know about that. Okay. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. We have plans, again, as I said at the top, to get back to Brian Schroeder with more of that. I have another guest plan in the coming days with another free agency offshoot, as I did similarly with Adam Morris and Greg Wissinger and Fred Katz. We have another one of those planned with a free agent that's pretty prominent in the coming days as well. So please stay tuned for all of that. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. We'll see you next time.